Want to know more about cryptocurrency? Well, you're in the right place. This is Crypto Unplugged. A fact-based, straight-talking, no-nonsense look into the world of cryptocurrency. We discuss trading strategies and market advice, review up-and-coming projects, and more. And we've got years of experience and knowledge that can help new and seasoned investors become more confident and comfortable navigating the cryptocurrency landscape. Now, let's get to the podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Crypto. Welcome, listeners, to another special Crypto Unplugged podcast. Dr. Crypto here, known as Doc, and Oz is here too. Oz, what's been happening, bro? What are you saying? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it's just been really hot in the UK uh, lately. I think we're getting another heat wave, but yeah, it's all good. What about yourself? Yeah, funny thing about your heat waves. Uh, I mean, what is it? What is it? How many degrees Celsius? About 22. Yeah, I don't think that's <laughs> a heat wave. I'm double, like 44 over here, yeah? <laughs> then we're all right. So, uh, yeah. Oz, yeah. uh, everything else will cool though. Yeah, everything else is good. Uh, just excited to have uh, Jonathan here with us. So hopefully it's be a great podcast. Absolutely. And before we do introduce our special guest, um, just give a bit of background. And, you know, obviously it's a pleasure for us um, having uh, this special guest. Um, he's someone who's been in Bitcoin or the over crypto space for the best part of nine years now. He is the CEO and co-founder of Bitwage, Jonathan Chester. Jonathan, um, thanks a lot for joining us on Crypto Unplugged. Yeah, yeah, happy to be here. Fantastic, Jonathan. Just a bit of a background. Where are you based at the moment? Are you in uh, uh, in California? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in San Francisco right now. And are you going so through? No heat wave. No heat wave. No, it's, <laughs> uh, I. I, I, I I can uh, wear a hoodie and a beanie outside, actually. Yeah, Jonathan, you know, I've been noticing with your headgear recently, it's evolved a bit from those, uh, what type of hats that you used to wear back in the, back a few years back? Um, the actually, I, I don't know the name of the of it, but it's, you know, it was in the shape of fedora yeah, yeah. type, fedora-esque. Yeah, exactly. Hat. But uh, yeah, but good to see you in that um, in that beanie. And I'm sure our listeners have yeah. seen uh, Jonathan in many, many interviews and uh, um, conference speeches and stuff. So, Jonathan, let's kick this off because Crypto Unplugged, our listeners, and it's a usual question, of course. You can give us a bit of uh, background related to how you came into Bitcoin, when was, when that was, and what was the spark that basically got you interested in uh, Bitcoin and crypto space? Yeah, sure. Um so basically, it, it started back in 2013. I started my first job. I was working at, at Oracle. And I was working out of their open source division, so focusing on um, the Linux kernel and their their virtual machine. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, I felt like a cog in this in this machine of tens of thousands of, of people and I was looking to figure out how I can improve myself. So I told myself every day I'm going to try to learn something new. And that led me to watching a TED talk about the future of money. And I think it was called uh, Tide, Sweat and Bitcoin, the future of money. Yeah. So I, I went into this video having no idea about Bitcoin. I came out you know, very intrigued by the idea of financial sovereignty, um, more efficiency in international transactions, banking the unbanked, and I decided to go deeper. 
spent a month learning everything I could. I focused on trying to understand the white paper. And at the time, I, I really couldn't understand the Bitcoin white paper, yeah, yeah. maybe just the first page or two. Of course. Um, and then I uh, and then I uh, was watching videos. I think Andreas Antonopoulos comes to mind as one of the earliest videos that I was that was really helpful for me. Anyways, after about a month, I came out this obsessed Bitcoin guy, and and here I am at Oracle going around telling people they got to buy Bitcoin and got to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Price of Bitcoin was skyrocketing, you know, from two hundred dollars to seven hundred dollars. Um, so so you know, I felt justified in what I was saying, and everyone thought I was crazy. Everyone thought, wow, here's some 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 crazy Geek. guy talking about Bitcoins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and they ultimately connected me with another crazy Bitcoin guy at Oracle. Uh, I was working over at the engineering side there. I was working in sales, um, and he was trying to to do some Bitcoin mining on his computer, which at the time was already was a, you already couldn't mine on your computer. Um, but we got together. And we said we got We got to do something in this space. You know, we believe that Bitcoin. Uh, is going to be part of the future of the of the global financial systems. How do we be a part of it? And you got to remember that at the time, there was not really much else besides Bitcoin. Ethereum white paper had not come out yet. You know, there were talks of smart contracts and microtransactions, but nothing was really happening there. So what we were doing is we were just looking at what were what are some of the core, you know, infrastructural pieces of the financial economy that needed to be addressed in crypto. And um, what we realized is that there was no full financial loop. You know, someone could could acquire Bitcoin through an exchange, yeah. deposit it onto their wallet, and then spend it uh, at a merchant. But there was no way for them for that merchant who got that Bitcoin to then use that Bitcoin to pay their employees, thus closing the financial loop. So we said, okay, let's be the first ones to do that. Let's address this problem. And so we set off to create the first. Bitcoin payroll system, which, you know, fast forward to today, we've done $100 million in transactions, have 50,000 registered users, 2,000 registered companies, um, and we're offering uh, B2B and B2C products uh, where either company can sign up and invite their workers to pay their employees domestically or their freelancers internationally, or if you wanted to get a portion of your wage in Bitcoin or crypto you could sign up yourself and we can connect to your payroll system so that's that's kind of the story of how we got started okay interesting that um before we go on to discuss a bit about um you know bitcoin and this idea you know of course going back at that time i think was it 2012 uh, jonathan yeah and yeah so, so yeah I, so i it was 2013 when i was learning about it but it was 2014 when i quit my job and and did start Bitwage full time. So the the motivation, you know, was self reflective in terms of you thought that being a cog in this massive corporate company is a dead life, and uh, you just need to feel liberated in a sense. And obviously, coming across this TED Talk uh, video talking about the financial system and Bitcoin sparked an interest to escape in a sense. Yes, exactly. Well, I knew I wanted to escape. I just didn't know how. Yeah, and you could you could say that that Bitcoin ended up you know, pro provided, providing me, you know, that, that kind of freedom that I, that I was, that I was seeking and wanted to help others achieve. 
Great, fantastic. A very good background in terms of his story. So we can consider you as a bit of a Bitcoin OG then, uh, Jonathan. Sure. Yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm, sh- I'm sure you are. Yeah. I, you know, back then I didn't feel like an OG. Yeah. You know, I, I, I remember in 2014 going to conferences thinking, wow, I'm so late to the game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bitcoin, Bitcoin had this massive bubble to $1,000 and. You know, the, the thought of Bitcoin ever he- hitting 10K was mind blowing. I thought, I don't I don't know if that could actually happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we are today. That's quite, quite extraordinary. Yeah. I just wanted to say something. So um, looking at um, like, like you've been involved in Bitcoin and then you obviously started Bitwage uh, a long time ago. You know, you hear on the news, you hear people saying a lot of skeptics out there. They're saying that uh, Bitcoin, you know, it's going to die. Um, you know, there's a. You know, you hear the normal stuff. It's uh, used by criminals. It's used by this money laundering, that all that sort of stuff. But they say blockchain is good. So they say Bitcoin is bad, but no, blockchain will survive. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Now, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that that uh, those people um, are being misled. I think that there's sort of this um, lack of a fundamental understanding of why a blockchain is is needed in many cases so so a lot of people believe that uh, a blockchain brings efficiency um, when there is an intermediary involved and um, while that may be true in some cases uh, what people don't realize is that the efficiency is not um, through better server processing and database management. You know, server processing and database management is actually slower and more expensive on a blockchain. And what's really valuable is is censorship resistance. Um, so when people say things like that, it, what it really means is they don't actually, at a co- core and fundamental level, understand how a blockchain works. Um, because if they did, they would realize that money is actually one of the best use cases, if not the best use case for censorship resistance and efficiency to be gained in censorship resistance. Um, that's not to say that maybe there are other applications out there that, that, that could benefit from censorship resistant efficiency. But when people say, oh, Bitcoin is not going to survive, but blockchain will, they're usually thinking, oh, I don't know why money needs to, to, to have a blockchain when we could just, you know, put Uber on a blockchain. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I love, I love thinking about this concept because Uber is going to be fundamentally inefficient on a blockchain. I mean, just look at, just look at what's happening right now in Ethereum. You know, it's costing a hundred dollars to, yep. to, to mint an NFT. So if it costs a hundred dollars that you got to pay just to the, the, the system to call an Uber, before you even pay an Uber driver to exactly, drive you, yeah, yeah. you know, a five dollar ride, that's that's not going to work. So that that that's sort of my my belief there. Yeah, um, you know, talking about this Bitcoin and scalability issues, even before we go on to discuss uh, a bit more in detail related to Bitwage itself, you know, if to give our our listeners an overview of the scalability issues that Bitcoin has faced, and then you know, and the the developments that are happening fairly recently with uh, this Lightning Network and how, um, you know, how this works practically in terms of um, 
you know, global financial transactions, and then possibly to go on to discuss how, um, you know, Bitwage as a company would introduce that. So maybe you could discuss, uh, introduce us, our listeners to Bitwage first, then hopefully go on to discuss this okay, as well. Okay, so, so you want me to discuss Bitwage, and then you want me to discuss yes, scalability of, of Bitcoin. Sure, how do you do that? So Bitwage, we are the leading provider of, of Bitcoin and crypto payroll invoicing and benefits. Um, so what does that mean? We, we have two products, one that services your company. So your company can sign up, offer the option for you to get a percentage of your salary in Bitcoin, in Ethereum, in various stable coins. Um, you can also, the company will also do this to pay their international workers. There's a lot of international workers in countries that face high inflation, like, Argent, like workers in Argentina, maybe in Brazil, maybe in Nigeria. Um, and so... They'll be able to get paid in stable coins or in Bitcoin, uh, all with a single click of a button from the company. We also have a Bitcoin 401k that's in a beta, so so a company can kind of have a full, you know, one-stop shop of, of benefits and, and and crypto use cases for, um, you know, all their disbursements. We also have a B2C product, yeah. which is let's say you just want to receive 10% of your salary in Bitcoin or or you know other crypto that we offer. You sign up. You actually get access to a bank account. You can use that bank account to connect to your payroll system. You can add it to an invoice and invoice a client. And so people will do that to get 10 or 20% of their salary in crypto domestically, or they'll use it internationally. And they'll leverage crypto to move the money faster and cheaper into their bank accounts um, across borders. Um, so that's 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 the high level of how, of how Bitwage works. Um, Talking a little bit more about the scalability of Bitcoin, um, I think that that a lot of people have here a, a, another misconception, right? Because people look at the base layer of um, of Bitcoin or of any cryptocurrency, and they say this can't scale up to you know how fast Visa can process. And if you think about what is the base layer for the dollar, I mean, it's cash. Cash can also not scale up. It Absolutely. Process as many transactions as Visa is able to process, right? Um, and so cash has several secondary layers. It has banks. Um, it has Visa MasterCard. Uh, it has Venmo. And the reality is that Bitcoin is going to have the exact same secondary layers. You know, there are systems like Coinbase and BlockFi that are like banks. And soon banks themselves will have their own cryptocurrency wallets. Yeah. You can have Bitcoin on Venmo. You can have Bitcoin connected to your Visa MasterCard. So it's already there. It's already able to process at these levels. Um, of course, you, there are also decentralized solutions, which are solutions that, um, that you know, preserve censorship resistance, um, but enable... Um, you know, much smaller transactions. And on these secondary levels, secondary layers, you have both the Lightning Network as well as the Liquid Network, um, which I think are, are, are both going to, to preserve censorship resistance at the, you know, at, at the scalable levels as well. You know, I had a question about Bitwage. Yeah, just, just gen- you know, if, um, like you, uh, you offer the service to, uh, to be paid in, like what you said, Bitcoin, Ethereum, stablecoins. Is it for? Uh, is it just for um, uh, uh, companies to come on, or can individuals do this as well? For example, if I wanted to 
uh, be paid in uh, Bitcoin, could I just say, you know, you know, reach out to you guys through your system, uh, or is it just for companies to? Are you just onboarding companies? A- a- absolutely. So anyone can use our service. So like anyone who's getting paid, you know, a, a, a wage can use our service. So you know, if you're a freelancer or maybe you work for like Google or something, you could sign up. And the way it works is you sign up and you get like a, a depository bank account. And so what you'll do is you'll go, let's say your Google, Google is your employer. You go to Google and say, hey, please put 20% of my salary into this direct deposit account. And so on payday, you get paid into that direct deposit account, which then gets converted into crypto based on your preferences on BitWage. So yeah, anyone can can actually sign up and do it. That, that's quite good. And just to, it leads me to a second question then. How would the tax implications, you know, different parts of the world have different tax regulations. How would that work? Would I have to do all that myself or do you provide a service or, you know, how, how would that work? So, so you know, it, each country obviously has, has different tax regulations. Um, so uh, uh, what I can say is typically... The main difference between an employee and then maybe like a freelance contractor is that an employee, uh, the company has an obligation to uh, withhold your taxes before paying it to you. So as an employee, usually when the funds hit the direct deposit account, it's already after taxes. Yep. Yeah, so exactly. you don't have any tax obligation there. If you are kind of like a contractor or a freelancer, you're usually get, there is no withholding obligation from the company, typically. Um, and so, what's going to happen is you're going to get paid with pre-tax dollars. Um, of course, what you can then do on our system, you know, you get all the information you need to do the taxes that you need. So you can download reports that can upload into into whatever accounting software you want for, you know, for a record of your transactions and your cost bases. Um, and our system keeps a record of, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the fiat amount uh, yeah, yeah. that you would get, which is needed for you to be able to, to do your taxes. Um, and, and one nice thing about using us is it, you know, it, it, it helps consolidate all of that. Um, so that you only have one system for, you know, pulling that that information when you need to report your income tax at the end of the year. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds good. It's, it's excellent that individuals can actually just come onto your system and you know get paid in, uh, you know, wherever they want. Um, what, what you offer and just about the rates. What rates do you give? Do you give like the uh, I don't know the standard spot rate from Coinbase or Binance, or do you have your own special rates? Um, yeah, so. We were typically going to the market to to purchase um, to purchase the coins. So you know we're gonna get uh, whatever is the spot rate on the exchanges or OTC providers, um, and then uh, and then the user is basically going to get uh, that minus one percent. Um, and okay. So yeah. Yeah. at least as a base case, yeah. That, that, that's 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 actually excellent. And sorry, uh, Doc, I just want to ask um, uh, yeah, just, just another thing on um, on Bitwage. So you know, um, I think it would. What do you think? Do you think it would be good for, for obviously for people to accumulate and hodl? Uh, you know, say they want twenty percent Bitcoin or ten percent Bitcoin every month. But what would you say to people who are scared about the volatility of um, you know the Bitcoin? You know, you know uh, people. 
I know it doesn't do it all the time, but sometimes they see 20, 30% drops. And, you know, that's what you hear in the media. You don't hear the, you know, in between phase, but you, once there's a 20, 30% drop, it's all over the media. And even now, if I talk to friends or family about Bitcoin, what they say to me is, oh, it's so volatile. Uh, but generally, they don't see the bigger picture. So what would you say uh, to, to people who are fearful of the volatility? Sure. Yeah. Um, so there, there's two ways to think about the volatility. One is the short term and one is the long term. Right. So so what we all believe and know is that in the long term, Bitcoin is is going to significantly appreciate in value. Right. I mean, the one of the great things about Bitcoin is that it has a, a limited number of coins that will ever be created. Um, and as such, it becomes very easy to compare the market cap to things that it could replace. Um, I think that on the lower end of the scale, it could replace gold as the as a you know for for a, as a precious metal store of value. And on the upper end of the scale, you know, it becomes a world reserve currency that you know everyone is trying to have at least one coin of. And even on even on the lower end of the scale, we're talking what like a a, a 10x from, from from where we are today. Yeah. Um, and so when you when you believe in that, when you come to understand that, and that that's the important thing to understand is is this point, and um, and you can go on and on about why it's better going to be better than gold because as a store of value, it's going to be way more liquid, easier to store, easier yep. to spend. Exactly right. Um, so if you were holding all your money in that versus gold, you're actually going to be able to use it. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Um, but, uh, but, uh, um, but to, to push the point forward, um, actually, I, I kind of lost my train of thought right there. Um, just about the politics, you know, just about people understanding why, you know, in, in like, oh, in, I now, now I remember. Yeah. Now I remember. So, so, so then there's the short-term volatility. So, someone might not want to like take a mortgage on their house and put all the money into Bitcoin because, well, you know, even though today it's doing well and we all believe that the 10-year outlook is good, you know, in six months there could be a 20% drop, and yeah, and that that causes a lot of stress, especially when you've taken a mortgage on your house. So, when you're worried about the short-term volatility, actually getting paid. Five ten percent of your salary in Bitcoin is a much better option than doing the big purchase because you're doing small buys over time, and when the price goes down, you're still buying, right? Yeah. Um, so so you so when there's volatility and the price goes down, it's actually a better for you as the person who's getting a partial salary because you're buying those lows, um, you know, before sort of this long term growth. So. The idea being, you shouldn't you shouldn't really be put investing into Bitcoin with money that you need to spend, you know, tomorrow, next week, next month, or even next year. Um, you should really be thinking of this as sort of like a five to ten year hold when you're when you're doing it. And going through your salary um, is the best way to do that with peace of mind through, you know, through the short term volatility cycles. Absolutely. Now, you know, the, the Bitwage as a company, of course, this idea is quite innov innovative uh, 
and the number of transactions and the clients that you do have. Um, you know, tell me some of the challenges that you face, some of the very, very difficult challenges that you face from particular clients and, you know, historically throughout the company. What would be uh, ones that come or spring into your mind? I think that the two the two biggest challenges um, are regulation and, and gas fees. Um, those yeah. are the two biggest challenges. Um, so in the world of regulation, um, you know, we, we have a fully compliant BSA AML program, you know, um, uh, you know, AML D uh, five program. Uh, and, you know, we keep to all the, the, the highest standards of regulation. That being said, the main gatekeepers of the regulation is, is not are not actually the regulators, but the banks. The banks are the main gatekeepers. So having to deal with banking relationships is a huge deal. And we've actually, I think we've probably lost over 30 bank accounts since, since we started. I mean, it's a it's a huge it's a huge thing to and it was a lot worse in the beginning. Nowadays we're pretty set in stone. We have really rock solid banking relationships today. But in the first few years, it was really, you know, hopping back and forth um, to, to manage banking relationships. But I'm happy to say that despite losing banking relationships, we have never had to stop our operations due to a bank account closing down. So that, that's a huge achievement uh, that, that we were able to, to pull off. Um, and then on the other side is transaction fees. So actually, we've, we've never really had issues with Bitcoin. Bitcoin has a batching system. So you can actually do multiple, trans, multiple outputs in the same transaction, which is incredibly scalable. Um, so, so Bitcoin is actually great for large transactions or, the batch, or, or, or batching methods for, for lots of transactions. Where, where we see more problem with transaction fees is on the Ethereum network, right? So we offer Ethereum and people will get paid, you know, and have most of their salary in Bitcoin, but then $10 in Ethereum. And, Which is not and worth it. Yeah. When you're dealing with the yeah. gas fees that are happening today, yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> it's not a winning proposition for us. So uh, I'd say that the, 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 there you know, there's a lot of struggle with with that and having kind of like a moving target for fees that get passed on to 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 to, to customers or minimums because um, we try to not pass on any ETH fees. We haven't pay, passed on any ETH fees. The only fees that we do pass on are with stable coins. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'd say those are the main struggles. See, coming on to that now, just following up from, you know, the, the obstacles related to your banking relations that you've had. And of course, I can imagine, you know, the type of narratives that some of uh, uh, the people or in the banking system that you're trying to establish these type of relations, they would have been sold on, you know, previous narratives that, you know, of Bitcoin and so on and so forth. But, you know, this issue of Ethereum uh, mining or gas fees, we can say, have you... Um, are you coming up with an idea to introduce possible other altcoins, for example, DOT or ADA, which could obviously, you know, the gas fees are very minimal uh, related uh, compared to Ethereum? Yeah, I mean, that doesn't solve the problem, right? Because 
the people want it's yeah. not like people who want ether are all of a sudden gonna want you know cpa or of DOT. course yeah, yeah. Um, they're gonna keep wanting yeah that, right so that doesn't really solve the issue um of of those of those gas fees um so uh, I, I don't really know the answer there. Uh, I don't actually believe that ETH2 proof of stake is going to save anything, you know, in terms of gas fees, because proof of stake doesn't, doesn't solve the, the scaling issue, right? It, it only solves uh, an environmental issue, which in my mind is, is a, a trade-off for worse security, <laughs> but that's a yeah. different discussion for a different day. Uh, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting discussion, by the way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to go into that a little bit later, I'm okay with that. But um, you know, one of the key things that really I think makes it less scalable with Ethereum is because their system uh, cannot do batch transactions. Each output it has to be its own transaction. So while Bitcoin, you yeah. can basically scale up with many transaction, many outputs for one transaction in Ethereum, you can only do one output, one transaction. So that is actually significantly less scalable than, 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 than Bitcoin. And I'm looking at the layer twos for Ethereum, right? There's this Polygon, but Polygon actually isn't a layer two. It's just its own blockchain that, that you yeah. know, it's basically, it's just dot, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, so, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, is to that. Maybe at some point there will be a secondary layer. I mean, I sometimes joke that they're going to put a wrapped ETH on on Lightning, on Bitcoin's Lightning, and then we're going to just pay people with wrapped ETH on Bitcoin's Lightning network. <laughs> so you don't really, sorry, when you don't see a solution for the scale, uh, scaling problem for ETH, um, and what do you think that could be, what, years down the line? or Because uh, people were, uh, I think people were very optimistic about ETH you know, 2.0 and, and the Polygon, like you mentioned, Matic, or it was Matic, now Polygon, uh, about that uh, helping with the gas fees. So I was wondering, what's your uh, take on that? Yeah, yeah. So um, I haven't done a full deep dive on Polygon yet, but what I do understand from Polygon is that it has its own nodes, it has its own consensus. So all, all, all it's doing is it's, is, it's, um, is it's its own blockchain, that has an interoperability with Ethereum. Um, I mean, maybe it could be a secondary layer. I haven't actually analyzed how um, how efficient transactions are on that chain. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I I'm still I'm still skeptical. I'm still skeptical when it comes to when it comes to the second uh, ETH2, so, you know, ETH is going in, in, in I guess, three phases. Phase zero yeah. is right now. Phase one is going to be basically when smart contracts and transactions go live. And then phase two is when charting happens. So, so only in phase two is there scaling. And, um, and even with phase two scaling, um, it's still not going to, it's still not going to scale so significantly, you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to be probably momentary reprieve. Um, but the, you know, the, the, the ultimate issue here is there's so many transactions happening at the same time. And when you look at how these blockchains work, right, to have the most decentralization, which means to have the most censorship resistance, 
you need basically people to be able to run nodes on their computer. Yeah. Um, and a node is basically, you know, um, processing every transaction that's occurring and, uh, and, cha- and you know, uh, creating updates yeah, to exactly. the database or accepting updates. But um, the thing is, if you have the entire world's applications, you know, uh, a computer can't handle that. You need servers to handle that, right? Um, and so if you start needing servers to handle all the world's applications, you have much less decentralization and much more centralization on the organizations that are, that are holding those servers. This is the problem with EOS. EOS said, you know, we're going to do this differently. We're going to have 20 companies that are basically, you know, making all the decisions. And, you know, we believe that's enough decentralization. And what we've seen is that it's not enough decentralization. And, and that's why there's been a lot of issues with EOS. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a, a, a question uh, as to, you know, how do you actually achieve you know, the global world computer with decentralization. And, and you know, I, I'm personally of the opinion that, that we're not going to get there. That ETH has some use cases that maybe it'll, it'll be good to focus on, like NFTs and maybe like, you know, tokens representing the value of a, of a, of a company. But uh, uh, to be the world's supercomputer, I think that it's it's going to run into scaling. Yeah, issues. and just uh, on that, do you think um, so? Do you think Bitcoin's ahead in terms of scalability uh, than ETH? Um, and also, do you, you know what? When people say ETH will flip, you know, I've heard of this a lot in this last few months. You know, ETH will flip Bitcoin uh, eventually. Now, what do you think? What's your thoughts on that? Uh, basically, I think that I think that um, people are uh, overvaluing the ETH, the ETH ecosystem because of the belief, there's such a strong belief in what smart contracts can do and what is a, a flawed fundamental understanding of how they're actually valuable. Because, you know, explaining this Uber, the, the Uber example is my favorite example. A lot of people think, yeah, a lot yeah. of people think that yeah. that's going to be an efficiency, but re- the reality is it's it's actually not an efficiency. It's a it's a loss. It's it, it is less efficient. Yes. Um, and so a lot of what people believe Ethereum can do is fundamentally less not you know not efficient on a blockchain. Um, and so you know the other thing is that what do you compare Ethereum to, right? Ethereum has an unlimited supply and there's nothing like it out there. Right now, the price of Ethereum is largely based on the price of Bitcoin. It's a cryptocurrency and therefore the market cap is is compared to Bitcoin. But what but there but, yep. there, but there's no comparison. Absolutely. Bitcoin has a clear comparison, right? It's trying to replace money and it is it is in fact better than 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 money for censorship resistant pur- purposes and it doesn't need yep. the base layer scalability that people think that it needs whereas ethereum actually needs base layer scalability to be the world's supercomputer um, and it doesn't and it doesn't have that and i think that this is a fundamental flaw that's going to 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 keep eth from being as big as everyone think it thinks it's going to be that's not to say that there aren't use cases for it. Um, I just don't believe in all, uh, most of them.
Would you say you're a, a BTC maximalist or heading that way? Or would you say uh, other cryptocurrencies do have their, uh, their uses? Uh, I think that I think that I'm more open than a traditional Bitcoin maximalist, although so so my belief is that I definitely believe in, in Bitcoin's value and most other things I I'm not so convinced on. Um, yeah. So before the NFT craze, I actually did think that there that that NFTs having censorship resistance makes sense. But I think that the t- entire NFT market is 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 so overvalued right now. Um, definitely yeah i mean you know people people like i i have a group with like you know quote unquote crypto experts and all they're doing is like spreading fomo in this group and people are buying <laughs> you know raw yeah. nfts for thirty thousand dollars uh that's crazy uh, you know with, with you know and, and these are not eth rocks they're like they're like you know the secondary rock right um <laughs> yeah. and you know at one point you know, it, it, if those don't keep going up, then the price is just going to go down and then there's going to be no liquidity, right? And the problem with NFTs is that there's a limited amount of art, unlimited amount of art that can be generated. Um, when people compare, you know, OpenSea to OpenSea to uh, Uniswap, it's also sort of a, a miss, uh, 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 you know, a uh, something that, that people misunderstand because oh, most of that, is probably minting, not trading, right? So there's not necessarily as much liquidity on the NFT market as you would believe based on how much activity is happening on OpenSea. The reality is that all these artists are probably minting lots of NFTs and that's what's causing all that, all, all, all that, all that congestion. Um, so, you know, I, there, will be, there will be artists that make it, there will be memes that make it, but the whole, the, in general, there isn't enough competition on, you know, between artists in the NFT market for, you know, the true values, which are, which will likely be lower. Because at the end of the day, art, the art world and the NFT world should have relatively same values. Uh, yeah, exactly. As opposed to d- drastic multiples on them. Um, but you know, I think that there is a, that having censorship resistant digital scarcity for your digital art absolutely makes sense. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I think that there, there might be some tokens out there that, that have value. I think that censorship resistance for an exchange, a decentralized exchange makes sense, right? Um, so, uh, you know, Uniswap might make sense, but th- most of the coins that are on Uniswap probably don't make any sense. Um, yeah, exactly. yeah, no, no, I agree with you 100%. I think you, the NFT market is overvalued and it probably will burst, you know, sometime soon and then maybe come down to its real value. But no, no, yeah, it's um, it's um, a great point you made. Yeah, coming on to the issue of uh, Bitcoin scalability, you know, you you mentioned uh, earlier about the store of value as compared to gold, for example. And, you know, in essence, you mentioned it also a few times uh, over the last, uh, you know, half an hour or so, um, talking about um, Bitcoin being actually better than fiat as a medium of exchange. So, I mean, what do you, where do you see BTC's future uh, let's say for example in 10 years from jonathan chester's perspective 
as a replacement for um, the U.S. dollar? Yeah, so I, I don't actually think that that Bitcoin is going to to replace U.S. dollar that like most maxis might believe. Yeah, right. Which is just yeah. it's going to totally wipe it out. Yeah. I don't think so. Mm. I think that the dollar is going to get wiped out on its own, regardless of whether Bitcoin is here or not. Yeah. Um, and then the question is is what replaces the dollar when the dollar gets wiped out? Um, and Right now, my, the candidates I see are gold, uh, euro, and Chinese yuan, Yeah. right? Um, you look at Chinese yuan, no one wants to adopt that thing. I mean, the, the, the country manipulates it too much. Mm. No one really wants to give China that kind of power. Yeah. You look at the, you look at the euro and, you know, at, at, at least, you know, based on, on what we know, it's a, you know, a, a changing situation. We don't really know if more people are going to add the euro or get rid of the euro, if people are going to join the EU or leave the EU. It's kind of a revolving door there. Um, yeah. And, and so, and, and then you have gold, which you can't even use on the internet, right? You can't, you can't, you can't transact with it. It's like impo impossible to store, can't use it on on an everyday basis so when you look at at those things and then you bring bitcoin as another alternative option um it it starts to make a little bit more sense because you're like okay well if you know countries are probably not going to want to adopt you know the currency of a particular country they'll want something more neutral and they'll want something that you know works uh, in sort of our digital financial ecosystem. And that's where I see Bitcoin coming in as a world reserve currency, not by taking, not by it taking the dollar out, but by the dollar being taken out itself in the world, basically looking for, for something new. Yeah. I mean, right. looking at the, you know, the world uh, looking for something new and the recent developments over the last couple of months with this Bitcoin law in El Salvador, yeah. legal tender. And, um, you know, I think you're probably talking about um, Bitcoin playing a part in, in that sense uh, for the future. Yeah. I mean, the, the, what we saw there, Bitcoin is not replacing the dollar. Yeah. It's just another option, right? So if the dollar were to fail, people will use Bitcoin in El Salvador because it's just, it's already there. It's already available. And I, you know, could you, could you really see that, you know, El Salvador, adopting the Chinese yuan and the dollar as the, as the reserve, not, as their, as their, you know, not in a million years. Currencies? I don't think so. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's exactly the path that I've been, you know, talking about. And I, I expect things to, to move in the future. Um, okay. And so I just want to, sorry, no, I just, this is really great to have Jonathan on. He's some really good insights. And I just want to have your take out. You mentioned it, um, uh, a little while ago about regulation and you know people get into bitcoin uh, from the start because obviously they have control over their bitcoins you know they they it cannot be um you know taken away like your banks can be closed and you know we've seen a lot of things for example in lebanon and other countries where uh, and greece uh, a long time ago where you know if the currency fails then you know and your money's in the bank that's it it could, it could be all over but now with regulation coming in some of these people are starting to get Scared, like in the UK here, uh, recently, you know, Binance um, stopped uh, because we had some regula regulatory problems with Binance. You know, we cannot um, now um, deposit money into to Binance or withdraw. 
So people are starting to get scared about all this regulation coming in and, you know, have this impact, negative impact on, on Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency market. What's your view about regulation? Is it a good thing for the space? Is it a bad thing? Yeah, so so I like to think I like to, to separate my thoughts uh, uh, of, of regulation into two levels, which is the decision to regulate and how regulation actually occurs. So on the decision to regulate, when you look at, at Bitcoin and crypto, which is you know which are financial instruments, um, which can be used for both good and bad, the the reality is that the government is going to have to do something about it. It can't just let it be a total wild west. So yep. the question it asks itself, the government asks itself, is whether or not to regulate it or to ban it. That's the very first question the government asks. So by regulating, the government is deciding not to ban it, which is a good thing for the good actors in the cryptocurrency world. Right. For, for It's pretty much good for everyone except for, you know, except for people who are trying to do bad things. So that's that's a good part. And I appreciate that part. But the thing is that that regulation can be done. And, you know, I say I, I like to think that there's three ways of doing it. One is you create regulation with with actual malintent. You know, you're trying to, to create regulation that. It's based on some sort of regulatory crap capture where you're, you're actually, you know, regulating to hurt. Um, the second is um, well thought out, educated law, which takes time. It takes time for lawmakers to learn, to understand, and then to generate law that is well thought out and well prepared. And then there's the third kind where you know, the intention is not bad, maybe it's even good, but it is naive, it is uneducated, and regulation is just created fast w- w- without knowing how it's going to work. Um, so two out of these three situations, the regulation is usually bad, and one, it can be good. And what it seems to me is happening uh, with a lot of regulation is that it, it's leaning towards sort of this uneducated level, right? In the U.S., there's this infrastructure bill, and the infrastructure bill is putting in uh, some tax, crypto tax regulation that doesn't that 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 target that 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 targets uh, unintentionally miners and software wallets uh, and nodes, um, which is pretty bad regulation because. Uh, some of this regulation, uh, the, the regulation that's being put onto these entities is basically impossible to follow. What we are seeing is that the regulators, so not not the not the not the not not the the people who are creating law, but the people who are executing the law, enforcing the law, they've come out and said, even though the law is written badly and targets people that it shouldn't, we as the regulators are deciding to not target the people that it shouldn't. And to, to enforce the law in the way that is that that it should have been designed, which is right. great, you know, but it kind of puts you in like a big brother benevolent dictator kind of situation where if the regulators are run by someone bad, they can abuse the law uh, exactly yeah. poorly. Um, so that 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 that's what's happening there. When, when it comes to Binance, um, 
you know, I think that it's a little bit different, right? Because you just have this massive company with all these resources and they're, they're kind of, they're coming in and um, they're essentially applying a total, a total wild west and, uh, scenario when really they probably should be abiding by the regulations in, in countries that they operate, especially if they're touching fiat currency. Um, so I'm a little bit more okay with what's happening with Binance, especially because they're such a large company. Yeah. Um, I, I would be a little bit, I would be a little bit less okay if they were going after good intentioned companies that were not very well capitalized. That, that, that is, that's just, you know, that just destroys innovation. No, no, it makes it, that's a good point. Because I remember, you know, Binance, they were, they've, they've reduced their leverage. And I know people love trading, love leverage trading. And it's, a, you know, it's always a, it's crazy that so many crypto, especially the uh, new people who come in, they love leverage trading, 100x leverage trading. And Binance offers that to everybody. They've reduced it somewhat now, I think, in the UK to 20 or 25x. And hopefully they'll start um, being a bit more responsible because a lot of people do end up uh, losing their money and, totally you know blowing their accounts yeah yeah and and i think that i think that um the it's it's very easy to be really irresponsible right with finance <laughs> um exactly yeah um but but even so the 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 regulators are not actually enforcing right now they're not they're not doing protections for people to um to for being uh, irresponsible. I mean, they're just starting to do that, but um, I think really they're they're more focused on, you know, making sure that the companies are solvent if the company screws up or um, that they're not facilitating any kind of money laundering and the, you know terrorist financing these kinds of things, which I think you know needs to happen. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I could name myself and Oz probably. We've been irresponsible on Binance in the past on occasions as well. Um, you know, <laughs> exactly. so guilty of that. But coming back onto Bitwage, I mean, what can we expect, Jonathan, in terms of um, your future plans for Bitwage over the next um, couple of years? In particular, for example, when we're going into um, next six months or after, you know, Q1 or Q2 in, t- in 2022, uh, possibility of a of a you know a bear market. Um, what type of plans do you have in future? I think one of the big things that we're going to do is we're going to we're, we're currently building integrations into most of um, the U.S. based payroll and HR systems. So we're going to have oh, you know total great. total total automation um, on our application that allows you to you know click a few buttons um, and connected to your payroll or HR system and, and get paid in, in crypto. Um, so that's going to be huge. Excellent. Um, I, I think that, you know, from a more ideological perspective, you know, uh, I think that today is uh, in crypto is kind of like what we were in before we had digital bank accounts where people would get cut physical checks. They would take those checks to a bank to cash it. And then they take that cash and they put it, you know, under their under their mattress to store. <laughs> uh, I think that that's yeah. what's happening today in crypto. You get your paycheck, yeah. you move it to an exchange, you convert it into crypto, and then you you put it on your your hardware wallet or whatever, or your or your. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting analogy and, that you've come up with. And I, <laughs> definitely, just as something on that, you know, 
so, sorry, uh, Jonathan, you know, if um, let's say 10 years down the line uh, and um, companies are starting to pay you in Bitcoin, how what would Bitwage do? Would they uh, partner with these companies or how, how would you see that you know, in the ideal scenario? I mean, the thing about these payroll and HR systems is that they're very slow, they're very conservative, and they, they need partners to work with to help them navigate you know, the world of, of Bitcoin and crypto. And that's what we're doing is we're br- building the bridge between these old, slow, conservative payroll HR systems and connecting them into this sort of fast-moving, disruptive space of Bitcoin and crypto. So we, our, my expectation is that we actually become the global direct deposit engine. Whether it's, you know, because you're putting Bitcoin into your, you know, your savings account, because I think that Bitcoin is going to be the world's savings account, or, you know, you're having direct deposits into, you know, some DAO or some yield bearing account, and you're having this done globally because you're a remote worker and you've got, you know, three different employers in three different jurisdictions and you're, you, you know, you live in the country with the best tax regime. Um and they're just there to help you manage that whole thing and be the direct deposit so that you get paid the way you want and need. Yeah, sounds uh, so really, um, I think it's excellent um, idea that you have and obviously that you've been running your company for a long time now. And I think, you know, as Bitcoin becomes more and more accepted, um, you know, amongst people, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's great for people to be actually paid at least a percentage, um, uh, you know, of their wage in, in Bitcoin. I think it's an excellent idea. Um, no, I think it's a fantastic idea, Jonathan, and it's been, you know, especially with the journey that you, uh, you know, have been on in terms of establishing the idea itself from both a practical and, like you mentioned, an ideological perspective as well. And to, you know, to it's commendable how it's, the Bitmage has grown in terms of transactions and uh, your plans in the future and something. And it's just uh, been very, very educational. I mean, do you have any... F- uh, final thoughts before we go on to our uh, fun round of questions. Um, no, I think uh, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear some fun questions. Why not? Okay, let's let's <laughs> do, let's do it then. Okay, listeners, stick around, and we're going to just put Jonathan Chester on the spot for some fun questions. You're listening to Crypto Unplugged. Okay, listeners, uh, welcome back. Jonathan, are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. Rage Against the Machine or the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Chili Peppers. Ah, I like that. I like that. Okay. Godfather or uh, Scarface? Godfather. (laughs) Okay. Turkish food or Chinese food? Oh, Chinese food, of course. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um... 1980s or the 2000s? 2000s, I was, uh, great music, and uh, I was I was alive during that time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you guys are putting me down there. Okay, um, yeah. we know your age now. <laughs> okay, now this one, Jonathan, I'm going to ask you very quickly. I think it's, you don't even need to think about this yet because it's already been discussed. But Bitcoin or Ethereum? Bitcoin. Crypto <laughs> unplugged or what Bitcoin did podcast? Crypto unplugged. Yes, yes, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Okay, mountains or uh, the beach? Beach. Okay, Um, and the last question I'm going to ask you, um, you don't answer to this. Fiat or crypto? Crypto. 
Yes. <laughs> Some of our other guests actually struggle to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, they do. They take a while to but think about that. What are they even that. doing on this podcast if they don't know the answer? Uh, well, you know what it is, um, Jonathan. Not everyone is a believer, and uh, I can say, and Oz, you know, on my behalf as well, that we, you're actually a believer in this. Um, in crypto space and Bitcoin. And I think your journey has, uh, you know, told us the story about this. And it's a fantastic thing. And it's been very, very educational for us personally. And I'm sure for our listeners as well. Definitely. I, I, you know, I think Jonathan's been one of, you know, we've had a lot of guests on Crypto Unplugged, but um, his knowledge, his experience, and just his overall outlook is just not on his own, like Bitwage. I know he's done his company, which is, which is great, but he has a holistic view on the whole crypto market. And you know the you know other tokens that's like, and it's just been really eye opening for me and I've learned quite a lot today. Yeah, a critical analysis, uh, especially of Ethereum. And I think Jonathan, look, if we can possibly arrange this sometime in the future to discuss something which is a bit more controversial, okay, I wouldn't say controversial, but something a bit more challenging, then it will be an absolute pleasure for you to come back on our show. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, happy to do so. Okay, Jonathan, um, do you want to just uh, give our listeners an overview of uh, your website or anything else that you need to plug in? Yeah, sure. If you want to, if you want to learn more about Bitwage, get paid in Bitcoin, uh, stablecoins, or ether, either domestically or internationally, or, or want to offer the benefit to your employees, check us out at www.bitwage.com. We have a Twitter uh, at Bitwage. We host a Twitter Spaces and a Clubhouse room uh, every week. The Clubhouse room is Bitcoin for business. So follow us, uh, sign up, and we'll see you there. Oh, yeah. One last thing I wanted to add. Bitwitch currently has a live fundraising pitch on Bank to the Future that's ending on October 10th. So if you want to be part of the future of payroll, check out our pitch and the link provided and invest. Well, I'm going to be one that's going to go straight onto this website, um, Jonathan, and check you guys out. And especially the clubhouse. We've got one of our other co-hosts here. He's always on there. He's probably on there right now. He lives on clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll hopefully direct him towards uh, uh, the Bitwage uh, clubhouse room. But Jonathan, thanks a lot. And uh, listeners, do um, visit um, the website and the clubhouse rooms. And of, of course, follow uh, Bitwage and Jonathan on Twitter as well. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Crypto Unplugged. We hope you learned something from this episode. For more information, check us out on Twitter at Crypto underscore Unplugged. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to like and review us. And thanks again for listening to Crypto Unplugged.